Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. We'll catch up with that next week. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, that was unexpected. I was back in the corner playing my bass guitar this morning, filling in for a friend who is homesick today, and so that is unexpected, and thank you. Turn your Bibles, please. Matthew chapter 6. This morning, uh, as you turn in your Bibles there, I was, I was reminded this week, um, you know, th- there's a Sunday for everything in our world, uh, but one of the days uh, that is set aside in June, uh, one of the Sundays set aside in June, is called the International Day for the Unchurched. Um, it's a day that focuses on prayer for those who have no access to the gospel. Apparently, I learned this week that one-third of the world does not have access to the gospel. Think about that. One-third of the world does not have access to the gospel. I'm grateful to be a part of a church family, to be a part of missionary partners who have a a deep passion for the gospel, deep passion to walk out the gospel by the grace of God in our lives and to go throughout this world. Just a couple weeks ago, um, we commissioned a young lady who is on her way, if not already there, over in um, the South Asia area. Uh, She's headed to Papua New Guinea to learn how to translate the Bible for the cause of the gospel. And I want to take a moment just as we begin this morning and pray for people around the world that they may hear the good news of Jesus, the good news that sets them free from sin and from death. Uh, Father, we, we thank you. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance and the privilege and the high calling to be your children. And God, as we gather, we we want to gather to learn and to grow. We want to gather to learn and to live. God, we also want to gather to learn and to to go. And we pray for people like Anna who are serving overseas right now, as well as other missionary partners that we have throughout this world in areas like North Africa, in areas like the Middle East, in areas like Southern Africa. Asia in the Australia, Asian region, region, God, would you bless the work of these dear missionary partners to take the name of Jesus to those who have not heard? God, would you remind us, would you remind us amidst all the hurriness and busyness of our lives, oh God, that you have given us life in Jesus, and not just a salvation from eternal separation from you, but God, life for here and for now. God, thank you for the fruit of your spirit that comes through us by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. May that same power go into all the world through us, your willing servants, to take the name and the cause of Christ to those who have not heard, we pray. We pray, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our sufficient needs for today. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven one another. 
Lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. And together we as a church say, amen. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are at. And we're going to look at a story this morning um, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's in the very familiar Sermon on the Mount, probably gathered on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee um, as he's giving this. Um, this message is one that Jesus teaches throughout his ministry, though, and it's a message of dependence. And Jesus is going to talk about what does it mean to have treasure? You know, the way he phrases it in verse 24 is this. For where your treasure is, sorry, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whenever Jesus talks about treasure in this world, when he talks about stuff in this world, he's really talking about our hearts. So the question for us going into this passage, and we'll read it in just a moment, is where is our heart? And we often know where our heart is by looking at what we treasure. The words of God, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Would you stand with me, please? Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither mo- not moth nor rust destroys and where, there's, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how great or how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve or you cannot be slaves of both God and money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters or the pagans eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our Father and our King, in a world in which worry is very commonplace, in a world in which it seems to go more crazy by the day, God, we choose to trust in your unfailing love. Our hearts choose to rejoice in your salvation because you have been good to us. Lord, teach us what it means to treasure not things on earth, but things in heaven. We pray for the glory of your name. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We're talking about treasure today. One of the greatest issues that affects our discipleship, and we're actually finishing up a series in discipleship today. God willing, next week we'll be launching into Revelation chapter 1 for our study on Revelation, and then the seven churches. We'll, we'll follow that shortly. But one of the greatest issues that affects our discipleship, how we walk with Jesus, what it means to follow hard after him, has to do with what we treasure. In other words, what we value and how we treat what we value. When Jesus is talking treasure here, he's not talking about gold or silver necessarily. He's talking about the things that we give importance to. In the ancient period, it could have been gold, silver. It could have been clothes. It could have been um, grain stored into barns. Jesus addresses this because he knows that for many of us in walking after him, in, in learning how to trust, one of the things we have to do is learn to hold the things he has given us to use for his glory loosely. And I say this not as someone who has mastered this because I haven't. This is a journey for me. When you see the gas go up to over $5 a gallon, you start to go, oh no, how can I conserve? When you see things happen in various stores, you go, oh no, do I have what I need? And, and really easily, it's so simple to step into trying to meet all of our own needs with our own strength and with our own power. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking bad about working hard. I'm not talking bad about saving well. I don't think Jesus is doing that either. But the question is, what do we value? Because what we value demonstrates where our heart is at. And if our heart is in something instead of in someone, we're going to get things a bit topsy-turvy. This principle of discipleship affects us whether we are in a time of scarcity or a time of abundance. And it affects pretty much every single one of us. Treasures include financial resources. It also includes time. One of the great gifts that God gives to us that we can never get back once that second is gone is time. He also gives us gifts to use for the glory of his name and the furthering of his kingdom and the building up of the body. R really, treasure involves everything within our domain. And what we treasure indicates how we seek to meet our core needs. Our, our, our core needs are things like where we find our value and our worth. Things like our identity our security, those are three big ones. But, but core needs are also our need for love, our need for acceptance, our need to feel adequate in something. And we can find those in a whole lot of things. We can find them in the work we do. We can find them in the letters behind our name. We can find them in the houses that we have. We can find them in the cars that we drive. We can find them in the family that we are a part of. But Jesus invites us not to find our needs in those things. Rather, he calls us to find our needs, our core needs, worth, value, identity, security, love, acceptance, adequacy. He invites us to himself to receive all we need in those things. One of the things that many of us experience on a frequent level, at least in my life, is um, we walk in what the scripture calls our flesh. Our, our, our flesh is essentially a coping mechanism or survival strategy to meet these core needs apart from Christ. It, it's a way of trying to do it on our own and just pull up our, our bootstraps with our own strength and say, never mind God, I have this. 
And what Jesus invites us into is, don't rely on the flesh because it profits nothing. It profits nothing, Scripture says. Rather, he invites us to himself to receive what we need. In Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, we didn't read it, but Jesus talks about two spiritual practices that strengthen our trust. He talks about prayer and fasting. Our our trust is strengthened by remembering, as Jesus teaches us to pray, that God is our Father. And as a Father, He cares for you and He cares for me. He desires our best, and He equips us for the work that He would have us engage in. The ancient world knew all about treasures. Several years ago, when I was in Egypt, um, we got to go to this place called the Red Pyramid. Some of you have been here. We walked up that little hill on the right side of your screen, and there's a small, like, darkened um, opening on, like, in the middle of that pyramid. We climbed up some stairs to go into that, and then we went down into the middle of this pyramid, because in the middle of this pyramid, underneath all this rock that is just amazingly built and cut, um, underneath all this rock is a room that the pharaohs had set aside certain things so that they would have them in the afterlife. They wanted to make sure that when they died and their body was interned and embalmed and everything, that when they came back to life in their view of a resurrection, that they would have everything they needed for the world to come. That's what they would do. There's a whole place called the Valley of the Kings, a little bit further south in Egypt, that, that is covered with bur- burial places for the kings and the pharaohs of Egypt. All these are basically really big graveyards filled with a lot of stuff. You can go online and look at um, King Tutankhamun's uh, remains and some of the archaeological um, discoveries from several years back and find out that they saved a lot of stuff like gold face masks and things that are essentially priceless heirlooms that they wanted to make sure that they had for the future. For them, their life and their existence was all about preparing in death for the world to come, but in a way that they would meet their needs. What Jesus invites us into is he says, I will meet all your needs. And by the way, you don't have to worry about the world to come because it is good and it's something to look forward to in which we get to see Jesus face to face. And so the question is, is how do we live today? Because these pharaohs would spend all this time, all the resources of their kingdom to prepare for something for them. Rather, Jesus' call for us is to spend our lives preparing for the kingdom by being about his work. We looked at his work in Matthew 28, where he says, go, share the gospel, preach the good news of the kingdom throughout all the world. He gives a promise of his power, he gives a promise of his presence, and he gives us a purpose to make disciples of all nations. What we treasure is what we love. Just like kings gave a lot of energy to do these things, um, Jesus wants to make sure that our energies and our values are rightly placed for the work he's given us to do. So in verses 19 through 24, he breaks us down into three different sections that talk about God and possessions. The, the first one is, don't collect up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. He, he's talking to a group of people who saved certain things. You know, like they might save gold and they might try to put it in a safe place or bury it and put it in a field. 
or they might have grain and they would put that into a storehouse. But this was really expensive stuff and everything they had was subject to loss. Their food was subject to rodents getting into it or to the weather making it not usable. Their gold or their money was susceptible to theft. Other things were susceptible to rust or to decay, like their clothes. You know, you have to make new clothes because after a while they eventually decay. And Jesus essentially saying, the things that are temporal on this world matter very little. They matter very little. Put your treasure in the right place because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In verses 22 and 23, he uses this image, and it's kind of an odd image. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. What are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, to have a good eye is a Hebraic way of describing generosity. What Jesus is teaching in verses 22 and 23, when he says, um, have a good eye, he's saying, be generous in the things I have given you. One of the things that quickly goes when scarcity, especially, abundance as well, it can happen. But one of the things that goes when we see scarcity is we begin to clutch. And we begin to maybe not give out things as freely or as openly as we may have before. What Jesus invites his disciples here to do is to practice generosity. Practice generosity within the community of faith. Practice generosity within the societies in which they lived, where there was needs amongst the poor that they could meet in a way that would truly meet that need. But more than just what they would do, he's inviting them into a heart of trust. Because to practice generosity really is to model your life after a God who has been generous to you and to me. When Jesus came to this world, and we're going to celebrate communion this morning, we're going to remember what Christ has done and what he's given to us through his son. When we celebrate communion, we remember a generous God who didn't say, no, I think we should play this one safe and not send the son, right? He gave his all. He gave his all. He gave his one and only son. John's gospel says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For Jesus, it wasn't anything short of everything. We serve a generous God. To have a good eye is to practice generosity in a way that recognizes that we've received much. But then Jesus gets to another little bit of the heart of the matter in verses 24. Uh, in verse 24, he says, no one can be a slave. Now the word in your translation might be servant. The word slave or servant, it, it, re, it refers to someone who has total um, can't read my note, who, who has given their total service to one another, all right? It's, it's, to be a servant in the ancient period was not a half-hearted event. It was to be all in, and Jesus is essentially inviting his followers to be all in in everything that they are going to do as a servant of the king, and he's essentially saying you can't serve God and you can't serve possessions. The word there for possessions, your translation might say money. In Greek, it's the word mamon, and it's actually from uh, the Aramaic, and it, it's a word that describes uh, a term for money or for property, but its contrast with God as an object of servants here suggests 
this one scholar says, that it has been deified as well as personified. Here's what he means. Um, when Jesus says you cannot be slaves or you cannot serve both God and money, he's essentially saying you can't turn possessions into an idol. Because when you turn them into an idol, you can't make that serving, that serving of an idol here and serving God, they don't work together. You can only serve one master. In the ancient period, it would be not, not terribly common for a servant or a slave to have two masters because it's really hard to serve two people whose interests might be different than each other. Jesus is saying, you, you can't have a heart that's for possessions and a heart that's for me. And that hits me between the, um, the eyes because especially in times in which we live, one of my fleshly responses, one of my self-preservation, try to make it on my own responses is, how do I secure enough for myself? How do I secure enough for my family? And Jesus is inviting us rather to make our lives about his kingdom. Nothing less, nothing more. To make our lives about his kingdom. Why? Because he is a generous God who seeks to meet our needs even before we ask. We have to be careful in our lives because there is good biblical stewardship. There's good principles of saving in the scripture. There's good principles of spending rightly and investing well. But those things that we do are not a path to a good life or getting ahead or living like no one else later. Whenever our idol, or whenever we turn stuff into an idol, what we've done is we've replaced God. Instead of saying, God, everything we have is yours. I read a fascinating article this week, and happy to share it with you if you're interested. And it's, it's by a scholar who looks at the Jewish pattern of tithing and of giving. And he looks through the different kinds of offerings that were given. T tithe actually means a tenth. Uh, that's what the word means. And so many people uh, have patterned their giving, their, their charitable giving on this tenth, this 10%. Um, or they've patterned their lives on giving a, a, an offering of first fruits, recognizing that everything we have is God's and we want to give a portion of that very first thing and recognize this is God's. Um, in the ancient period, the tithing of an observant Jew was probably, the tithing and offerings of a, of, of a person back in the time of Jesus was probably around 20% of their resources. But here's the thing is, even though there's an offering for this and for this and for this and for this, and there's a, a, a tithe for this and for this and for this in the Jewish framework, it's not so much or primarily about a percentage. It's really, again, about the heart. Because you could say, Jesus, here's 10%, or here's 15%, or here's 20%, and your heart could be just as far from God as it was before you gave that. Now, it's a good practice to do. I, I encourage that. But just because you give doesn't mean your heart's where it's at. Sometimes the giving helps your heart trust, right? But you can give and your heart be far from it. Jesus um, in, in the Gospels, actually just uh, in the first part of chapter 6, he, he talks about how people would gather on the synagogues and in the street corners, and, and they would do things like giving to the poor in order to be seen by people. He says, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward. And yet Jesus in the Gospels, he, he recognizes at one point in time this, this widow who gave all she had. 
And the amount wasn't the money, or, or the, the point wasn't about the amount or the, of, of the money that she gave. The point was she recognized everything she had belonged to God. And as a result, she'd rather be about what God wanted her to do in being led by God's leading. She wanted her heart to be right as she gave, regardless of what it was. It's kind of like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, which is a passage that talks about um, giving uh, and generosity. Uh, Paul says there in verse 7, he says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. What, What matters more than the amount is a heart of generosity to give out of the abundance from what we have received. Jesus' teaching of discipleship here with regard to treasure comes down to this. God owns everything. Everything we have, James uh, the writer says in the New Testament, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect thing we have. By all accounts, everyone in this room is amongst the richest people to have, monetarily and possession-wise, we're amongst the richest people to have ever existed in the history of the world. Just stop and think about that for a moment. We're amongst the richest people to, to, to have ever lived in the entire world. God has been so good. God has been so good. And he invites us not, not, not to find our identity or our worth or our acceptance or our security in those things. And that doesn't make those things wrong. The question again, and is, where is our heart with regard to stuff? A biblical perspective on treasures is this. What do you treasure? What does your heart value how does your time and your resources and your heart reflect what God values in this world? It's really easy sometimes to say, here we go, Jesus, and then we clutch it all back. And what Jesus invites us into is to say, here, Jesus, this was already yours. I return it back to you, and I want this to be a part of what you want to do for your kingdom in this world. But, but I love that Jesus, in teaching this, in, in Matthew, in recording this, he, he transitions, and this, this transitions right into verse 25. Verse 25 could be started uh, as, because of this, I tell you. Because Jesus understands that one of the things that comes when we learn to clutch and we learn to find our worth and our value and our significance and our security in stuff rather than in Christ, one of the things that happens is we experience worry. We experience worry. I think it's six times in the final verses of this chapter where Jesus says, worry, 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 worry. Maybe there's one more there. And the idea is this, because of all these things, because of all these things, because how we steward what God has given to us and entrusted us with matters, the question comes down to, do I value my possessions? In other words, do I worry about stuff? 
I love what one scholar said. He says, don't value possessions enough to worry about them. And that's perhaps a balance that's helpful for us. When we find ourselves worrying about stuff, that's a great opportunity in that moment to go to God and say, God, you are the giver of every good and perfect thing. Thank you for meeting my needs. And facing worry, not with how do I secure everything, Again, I'm not saying don't practice good biblical stewardship, but finding our security and stuff is temporary. It gives us opportunity to say, God, oh, you know what I need even before I ask. Thank you for meeting my needs. God, you know other people's needs. God, give me eyes to see those around me who need to be encouraged with what you have entrusted to me. Dr. Craig Keener says, do not value possessions enough to worry about them. In other words, what Jesus says later in this passage, he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. This word that Jesus repeats six times, the word anxious, means to be apprehensive, to have anxiety, to be unduly concerned. How do we live in the midst of a world where we need stuff to exist while not letting that stuff become the thing that we serve? How do we respond when our hearts become anxious? Jesus answers this. Don't believe this lie. This lie that so many of us believe at various points in our lives. He says, don't believe this lie that I don't care for you. That's a lie. When we begin to think that God does not care for us, that is a lie. That is an untruth. Why? Because God cares for his kids. He, he cares for people. He expressed his care and his love and, and the worth that he finds in us by sending his only son. He demonstrated his love for us, not when we were perfect, not when we had it all together, but when we were helpless, Christ died for us. The care of God for us has been demonstrated so abundantly. And so he says, don't worry about this life. What you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. And he uses several different word pictures, and he's probably talking outside at this point. And so these are word pictures that the people know, the people see, because they walk and they dwell in this existence. They look at things like birds, and Jesus says, you know, I care for the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father... Your heavenly father needs them or feeds them. And the word here used for birds in the parallel account in Luke 12 actually describes an unclean bird. One that would not have been considered kosher by any stretch of the imagination in a Jewish framework. And the point is this. Even the least of the birds that God has created, he cares for. And it underscores the truth that if God cares for them, God will care for you and he will care for me. He says, you know, don't, don't worry about all this grass of the field. You know, grass is something that's here today and gone tomorrow, and if you use fertilizer on your lawn, the grass that you don't want goes away a whole lot quicker. He says, don't, don't worry about the grass. You know, you know th this stuff comes up, and it goes away, and it comes up, and it goes away, and, and it may pass through your mind just as a passing thing. But he says, you know, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, like, I care about the grass of the field. Won't he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He also talks about wildflowers. This is a crown anemone, the traditional flower for the context of Jesus' teaching. 
And he says, look at how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet your heavenly Father cares for them. Look at the beauty that they have, the, the intricate detail of seeing a gorgeous flower across the fields. That's how God cares about the grass and the fields. Won't he much more care for you? Jesus says, don't be worried about your life. Don't be anxious. Don't believe that lie that God won't care for you because he will. I love what one scholar says. He says, worry is wasted energy, an emotional events investment that yields nothing. Worry actually reflects the tension we have when we feel that life is out of our control. Do you know what it means to feel like life is out of your control sometimes? When, it, when we feel that life is out of our control, worry is the product of feeling isolated in creation. Disciples, however, Dr. Daryl Bach says, should know that God cares for them. God cares for you. He cares about the smallest details of your life. He walks with you on the really deep, dark, painful valleys He's there with you on the high mountaintops. He longs to provide all your physical and spiritual needs. God cares for you. We must not believe the lie that God does not care because he absolutely does. So how are we to live then? If we're not supposed to worry, how does Jesus teach us to live today? Matthew 6, 33, we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're to have our, our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul focused upon God and what God wants for us in this world. What God wants us to be a part of. Which means when it comes to our charity, when it comes to the giving of our time, when it comes to everything that our life involves, one of the conversations we should be constantly having with God is, God, do you want me to step into this? God, is this a way that you want to meet someone's need through me? God, what would faithfulness look like here? Because hearing his voice and walking in his path is always the best way to live. It's always the best way to live. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. Or as one person wrote, we are to run after God's agenda. I love the way this scholar wrote it. He says, God's children should seek instead God's agendas, assured that God will also care for them in the process. Even in Jesus' model prayer, disciples seek God's kingdom first. Faith, he says, is not an intricate ritual to get what we want for ourselves. Faith is obeying God's will with the assurance that he will ultimately fulfill for us what is in our best interest. Now, one of the struggles I have is sometimes what I think is in my best interest, God says, no, I want, you to, I want you to trust me in this. You find yourselves in a challenging place, and it becomes a way for God to teach you more about himself. Faith is obeying God's will with assurance that he will ultimately fulfill for us what is in our best interest. He says, that kind of faith grows only in the context of an intimate relationship of love, between the heavenly father and his children. See, God doesn't just invite us 
to trust him while he stays distant from us. He invites us to trust him and to lean into him. When it comes to stuff, when it comes to treasures, when it comes to possessions, the call is not just give. It's not just give with cheerfulness, which scripture says. The call is to lean into the relationship you have with God, to seek to hear his voice, and wherever he is calling, trust him with. Matt mentioned, and you've probably heard this story, once upon a time when I was a kid, I said, God, I will never be a pastor. True words. And then I said, God, I will never be a speaking pastor. I was like, guitar, music, good. Little by little, God began to change my heart. And you probably have a story like that as well, where, where you started in this one place and you were working out something with God and you're like, God, you really want me to go there? And God said, trust me. Trust me. That act of trust is a way that we build this intimate relationship between our Heavenly Father who cares for our needs. Even before we ask, He knows our needs. And He meets us in our dependence. I don't know what that is for you today. I don't know what core needs in your life that you're trying to perhaps meet in your own strength. But God says, look, you're looking for security? Trust me to care for you in the middle of a crazy world that we live in. You're looking for love? Find your need for love in what I've done for you by sending my son and meeting you with great grace. You want acceptance? I accept you because you're my child, he says to the person who has trusted Christ and uh, repented of their sin, chosen to walk in this new path. The antidote to worry, the antidote to all these things is to go back to God and to prayer, in, in prayer. Prayer is the active process of giving our concerns to God because God cares for us. Our goal is not to live in the future. We have a future to look forward to as followers of Jesus, and it's a bright and glorious future that we're going to jump into in our ser uh, sermon series on Revelation over the next several weeks. Um, but our invitation today from God is don't live in the future, trust God in the present. Trust God with what he has before you right now. Where are you attempting to meet your needs today in your own strength? Give up striving and go back to your father who longs to hear your voice and longs to build this intimate relationship with you. What does it mean for you to pursue God's kingdom? Let's pray. Our father and our king, um, thank you that you meet us in perfect abundance through Christ. God, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us everything we need to find our, our security and our, um, our, our need for love, our, our need for care. God, our, our need um, for all these things, our value and our worth and, and acceptance and adequacy. God, you've given the solution. You've given the answer. You've given us everything we need in Christ. <laughs> Help us to turn to you in the moments where we are tempted to find that need elsewhere. Thank you, God, that you've not left us alone, that your spirit is with us. And, and now, God, as we 
move to celebrate communion. God, we celebrate what you have done for us through Christ. This picture that should constantly remind us of the love that you have for us. The lengths to which you will go to redeem sinners, to redeem people who are lost in their transgressions and sins. God, you've gone to the greatest of lengths to bring us life in Jesus. A life that matters. A life that is not just um, small, but it's to the full. It's in abundance. And so, Lord, as we take of the bread and we take of the cup, remind us as we proclaim the Lord's death until you return, remind us of the life that we have in Christ today. As you taught us to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us a heart for those things this morning, we pray. For your glory and for your namesake. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.